you know, just move into the neighborhood and you're like, hi, how are you doing? Can you do CPR? Which which of you can do CPR? <laughs> just a quick poll. Yeah. yeah. Just apropos of nothing, um, you know. This is Well, What Happened, a podcast where I get to listen to a good story, and so do you. Just a brief content warning, this episode does contain descriptions of a medical emergency and a car accident. It is not overly graphic, but it is a little intense in nature, so if that's something you're not comfortable with, maybe pass on this episode. What kind of a podcaster do I want to be today? Um, okay, I am super excited to have my super good friend Marissa on. Hey. She's another Discord friend, and mm-hmm. I'm super excited because I think that she's delightful in basically every way, and I'm excited to hear the story. And all I know is that it involves CPR. Yeah. Which I'm intrigued by. So, I... <laughs> And I think it's, I should probably preface that by saying that I am a doctor um, and it's something that I've done lots of times in hospital and in kind of like crash calls and having the team around and everybody knows what they're doing and it's, and it's nothing like in the movies, but it's, it's a very kind of organized and proceduralized affair. Um, And I, I think it's probably what everybody thinks of when they think about CPR in reality, um, when you're not in that kind of environment, it's weird, and pretty much everybody I've spoken to doesn't like having to do it. Um, I think whenever you hear like the bing bong, is there a doctor on the flight? Any doctor will just kind of slouch down in their seat and be like, "Please do not call me." Oh. Like it's it's the worst nightmare of being without any kind of equipment, right? And then being called upon to do a thing when you're technically off the clock. Um, yes. We, I, th- I think there are probably some doctors who thrive on it, but they tend to be the ED types and they, you know, have have that kind of lust for life. But the rest of us are just like, please just let me get through this flight. Let me get through this theatre performance without having to do anything medically just, just for five minutes, please. Um, so, yeah, my story is from a couple of years ago. Um when I was sat at home watching the TV one evening, having a cup of tea, and the house I was living in at the time was on a little side street in South London, and there was a the street ended in a series of bollards, like heavy metal bollards that you could cycle through, you could get a motorbike through, you could walk through, but weren't wide enough to allow a car to pass, and that was kind of the purpose of them, and. On this night, I heard a car moving very quickly down the road, and I remember thinking, gosh, they're going really fast for quite a narrow street. And then there was a soft crump a few seconds later. Oh, my gosh. And at first, I, I kind of turned to my wife and I said, "I did you hear that? And she looked at me and went, what? And I said, hmm. And And a few more seconds passed, and I said to her, I'm just, you know what, I'm just going to go and look outside just a minute. And she, oh, well, no. So I went outside. Did you have a feeling? Did you have a feeling when you heard the sound? 
I I think there are some there are some sounds which you hear and you think I know exactly what that sound is. Right. And it sounded an awful lot like a car going too fast in a dead end street and then colliding with a bollard. Um and and there's that as you as I went up to the front door I was kind of opening the front door thinking no I'm sure it wasn't I yeah. Must must have misheard something I can go back and finish watching TV and no there was a car kind of ploughed into one of these bollards. I have no idea how fast it was going, but fast enough that in the cold light of day afterwards, the bollard had shifted about five degrees. So you know, there's a bit of force that gone into it. Oh, um, my God. And there were a few more houses further down the street, so that the uh, my other neighbours had kind of come out. And I swear that one of them was in his dressing gown and kind oh. of rocking back and forth on his heels in his slippers. And do you guys have the expression sucking teeth in the States? Um, I don't know if, if we have it as an expression, but I know what you're talking about. Like you're thinking. That, yeah, like <laughs> really the, kind of, the kind of thing the mechanic does when he looks at your car and, right. uh, yeah. Ooh, I mean, that's going to cost mm. you, mate. And, mm-hmm. and <laughs> nobody was doing anything. Uh, and it's one of those moments where you just think, Oh God, I'm I'm gonna have to be the person that does something here. Um oh. and and there I guess kind of going back to that sense of how controlled like an emergency in a hospital can be. Yes. Generally speaking, when the doctor turns up, everyone else breathes a sigh of relief because the doctor's there and the doctor's gonna take charge and, and you get it kind of drilled into you that you will at least in, in the the first few moments before the rest of the the um, emergency team turn up and there's much more experienced people, you're kind of the person who's overseeing everything, making sure that the oxygen's going, that the bed is flat, that you know somebody has started chest compressions. Yep. Yep. There is there is that switch that gets flipped inside you, so you're like, something has happened. I need to do something. So, what I kind of understand about like how you sort of handle a medical situation is it's sort of similar to what pilots do. Like mm-hmm. they've got a checklist of things. Sure. And when something starts going wrong, they're like, okay, and we're on this other checklist yep. now and we're doing this and we're checking this and we're doing this and we're doing this other thing. D- does your brain kind of revert to that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So and kind of as I was walking up to this crash car with the engine still kind of running and Oh no! <laughs> and and seeing that I could see somebody in the front seat, um, and seeing my neighbours just kind of stood there with their arms crossed, staring at it, I was thinking, oh, yeah. <laughs> in in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, well, step one is like airway, like make make sure the person has a has an airway that they're they're not kind of okay. tongue in the back okay. of the throat that they're doing, you know, that that they're able to to get air in and out and coming up to the car and seeing the person lying back in the seat the airbags um had gone off and deflated so they were kind of out of the way and there was what might have been smoke in the car um and and the actually the the very first thing they always say with with um kind of CPR with in, in the street is that like you do a big danger sweep and you look for any danger and that went completely out of my mind. Oh my god! <laughs> like it should have been the first thing. Yep, <laughs> but yep. my first thought was, there is a car that's crashed, there's a person in there, I should be doing something. Um, 
and I, it wasn't like I kind of went running up, but I, I kind of went up and, um, you know, there was a person, they were unconscious, the car was running. And I think my being there and taking like an active role kind of spurred other people into doing something. Um, Good, yes. Yeah. And my wife had poked her head out of the door to see what was going on. I kind of yelled down to her to to go and get my stethoscope and, you know, bring it bring it over to me and I ended up I pointed to one of my neighbors and was like okay can you call an ambulance like, oh, yeah, yeah. great <laughs> thanks guys oh, <laughs> and and then kind of one of the guys uh got in his head to kind of come over and do something helpful so he kind of went around the other side and opened the passenger seat I opened the front door turned the engine off um and you know the the person was breathing. They were unconscious, but they were breathing. So that's a, that's a great oh, start. God. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I reached down. I felt for a pulse. I got a, a peripheral pulse. Okay. And then I saw a child seat in the back of the car. And my heart kind of stopped. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh my God. no. It's like, can oh. you see, saying to the other person, can you see a child in the car? Like, no, no, no. Can't. And... Yeah, we we had uh, most, once I'd established the person was breathing and that they had a pulse, and there wasn't much else immediately they needed doing. Like they weren't bleeding profusely from anywhere. Um, you know, there was no child. They looked like they were by themselves. Oh, thank you. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> like, like addition of injured child would have just, you know, things become infinitely more complex, and like you. Oh, yeah. And and kind of in in my mind, I'm like, somebody has called for an ambulance, an ambulance is coming. Like, you you are only going to have to manage this situation by yourself without any equipment for a few minutes. You know, help is coming. And, and you know, I lived in South London, lots of ambulances, pretty good response times, kind of like mm, eight to ten minutes if, if something's gone awry. Okay. And so I was like, it's going to be like ten minutes tops. The person's breathing, they've got a pulse. Um, you know, you should. You're going to be okay. Like <laughs> saying to myself, "Right, you're going to be okay." And then, and then, kind of muttering to the person who was unconscious, being like, "You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay." <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Um, oh. And and kind of once you've established that the car isn't imminently going to burst into flames, you're like, okay. So in my mind, I've gone like airway, breathing, circulation. Can't see any obvious injuries. Um, you know, no no blood spurting anywhere. What now? Okay. And and that's almost because you were saying like with a checklist, if somebody's not if somebody doesn't have an airway, they're not breathing. You're like straight to CPR, and we all know what to do. I think I think most people do, um, but it's when you get to that moment when you're like, okay, I've I've done the basics. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. And and by that point, my wife had turned up with my stethoscope. So I like, just kind of I I. Put the put the stethoscope on. I have listened to the person's chest. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I have a feel for kind of give their legs uh, a gentle squeeze, give their arms a gentle squeeze, make sure I can't feel any obvious kind of long bone fractures. Um, uh-huh. And no, that's all fine. I think okay. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, we've got through two minutes so far. <laughs> no, nobody's asked you to do anything particularly difficult. What now? Okay, fine, fine, fine. So then I think, 
Okay, well, let's let's get somebody else to help. So I said, can someone go and grab a towel, please? Or or a blanket or something to put around this person? Because then you think, okay, A, B, C, D, disability. Well, I'm not, you know, they're unconscious. And, you know, that's about as much as I'm going to get from this E, exposure. Okay, so we'll get a towel around them. We'll make, we'll make them warm. Like, I'm just like, do do the basics. Do what we can confidently say are the basics here. Oh, you know D and E. <laughs> I only know A, B, and C. <laughs> D, D is my okay. favorite. D covers a multitude of sins. And if you've got the right equipment, you can spend a lot of time on D. Um, okay. And E, yeah, again, like you're, when, when you're in the ER and you're like working as a team, you're rolling people, you're checking for fractures. You're like, have they got a stable pelvis? Have they got a stable C-spine? But actually C-spine goes right at the beginning if you have the facilities to check. But like you're, you're kind of doing everything um, you know, like clothes are coming off, you're putting stickers on people, and you're getting getting cannulas in their arms. You know, you're taking blood on the side of the street on a Saturday evening when all you have is this, a stethoscope and a couple of disinterested neighbours. You're like, I don't. And there's so very little I can do. In my mind, I'm like, okay, well, we must be at five minutes by this point. You know, we're going to be okay. All right, fine. Look at and and when in doubt, just go back through your ABCs. Okay. Like you, you run out of things to do, you can, again, check theirs in their way. The person's head was lulled back, and I noticed uh-huh. they're not breathing. Oh, no. And in my mind, I think, uh, right, are they definitely not breathing? As, and it's one of those things you do not want to spend a long time on, making sure that somebody isn't breathing. Right. But... Looking for their, you know, putting a stethoscope up on the chest, looking at the chest movements, doing all the things that you know, you know, you get drilled into you to do for looking for breathing, and then thinking the person, you know, is it because their head slumped forward? You know, they're kind of, they're kind of lolling to one side. Okay, but they're not breathing, and oh. thinking, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then there's that moment where kind of mentally you're thinking, okay, well, do I leave this person like this? Do I try and do something in the car? Because in your mind you're thinking if they've got an unstable yep. fracture in their, in their C-spine, yep. like, is, is this the moment where you know, I, I make the wrong choice? And then I thought, this person isn't breathing. Like, they're not going to start breathing without me doing something. So... With the aid of my neighbours, I kind of scooped the person out of the car, got them on the ground, um, kind of doing all all the, the kind of the CPR stuff to position them correctly, and still not breathing. And it's at that point we think, Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, well, I, I I guess we're doing CPR then, and kind of. Positioning correct, positioning yourself correctly, getting over the person's chest, and then starting with a chest compression. It's like boom, 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 boom. Okay, can I ask a question? Because this is, I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so I have done chest compressions on a dummy, like one of those CPR dummies, <laughs> yeah. and I need to get my CPR, you know, license updated mm-hmm. every two years. Okay. Um. And so you just do it on the dummies, mm-hmm. and they've got a baby dummy too. Um, yep. Is it different on an actual person, <laughs> uh, or does it feel the same? Different for sure, and and varies okay. between people. I think you're okay. 
if if somebody is is young and and vital it can often be a very different experience from if somebody is much older much more frail um okay know, more at risk of without wishing to be too graphic but like breaking ribs and things is something that happens in in older people certainly and but then kind of in the back of your mind there's the the voice of your your CPR coach being like they're dead like you're not making the situation any worse if they're not breathing and they don't have a pulse they are right. dead right effectively yes so like, okay yes I would much rather have a broken rib than be dead exactly so yeah <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, break my ribs. It's all good. Well, and uh, like the, and then there's the the whole kind of like once you start CPR, you are not meant to stop. So in in my mind again, I've like switched from one of the checklists to the next checklist, which is is there somebody next to me who's going to be able to take over when I get tired? Because like you've got to make sure you rotate round. That's what I was wondering because I I've been told that if you know CPR and mm-hmm. you see somebody doing CPR, mm-hmm. you should just kind of mosey on over and mm-hmm. say hi i can i can do this too yeah you know i'm ready when you when you're done or whatever yeah absolutely um, but nobody nobody's gonna do that <laughs> in your in your situation well i it's one of those conversations that you don't often have with your neighbors like do you know how to do chest compressions right right <laughs> do you know the basics of keeping somebody's heart going whilst we're waiting for an ambulance it doesn't it doesn't really come up at barbecues yep um maybe it should Maybe maybe we should all be able to identify which of our neighbours is likely to be able to help us in the event that we have to try and save someone's life. Interesting. Yeah, maybe maybe we should have that conversation. <laughs> you know, just move into the neighbourhood and you're like, hi, how are you doing? Can you do CPR? Which which of you can do CPR? <laughs> just a quick poll. Yeah. yeah. Just apropos of nothing, um, you know. <laughs> okay. So now you're okay. So you're, um, person's on the ground yeah. and you're beginning compression. Yeah, and thinking in my mind, okay, it's we must be at like seven minutes by this point, please. Right. Like I need, I need help. I need support. Um, and uh, the the fates were smiling on me on this day, I think, because two compressions in, the person started breathing. Oh my gosh. Spontaneously, which is really good because the next question is, okay, well, after the first round of compressions, am I going to put my mouth on somebody else's mouth yep. and do a great big blow into it? Because I didn't have uh, any kind of airway equipment. I didn't have uh, right. the, the kind of what we call a, a bag valve mask. You give them like a whoosh, whoosh, Yep, yep, whoosh. yep. You know, looks very professional, but otherwise, like, I you're kind of clamping the person's nose shut and you're putting your mouth on theirs and you're giving a dirty great blow into their chest, mm-hmm. um, which nobody wants to do. Nope. I don't think, <laughs> particularly not now. <laughs> kind of things being what they are. But this was a few years ago. Pre-pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, before the pandemic, back in a, a happier time. Um, <laughs> oh, man. And I, I think... Or I think I'll, kind of in retrospect, what may have happened is this person had just kind of slumped forward um, and kind of occluded the airway and, and stopped breathing. And it was a case of just giving their chest a bit of a squeeze, help them kind of reestablish their breath. I'm still unconscious, still obviously at risk of a, of a multitude of things going wrong, but now breathing and, and with a pulse. How could you tell that they had started breathing? Did they kind of cough or 
just yeah you could just tell okay yeah so yeah it was kind of a a, a bit of a splutter okay um which is which is always good when someone's got enough energy to splutter that's probably <laughs> that's got to be a point in their favor maybe um yeah that's a good sign at, at that blessed moment the ambulance came down the road oh <gasps> See, I was so worried when you were when you were saying that you were kind of aware of how much time was going by and hoping for an ambulance. I was super worried that one of your neighbors hadn't called <laughs> for an ambulance. So I'm so glad that an ambulance came. Okay. Well, I, it's literally the least you can do, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> for somebody is is call an ambulance, and like I've I've had to call. Ambulances multitude uh, a multitude of times, and they're always pretty. You know, they they ask intelligent questions. They have been on the receiving end of these calls an infinite number of times. Like they they will guide you through. Um, yeah, and the the ambulance coming down the road, um, the police, you know, following them, mm-hmm. uh, and and just having kind of the 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 uh, ambulance crew get out. Looking, I'm very relaxed, which is always, I think, is always a good sign. Like, you want your emergency people to look, maybe even faintly bored would have been okay. Yes. Like, they know, they immediately know the situation, they immediately know what to do, and they have done this dozens of times. Yes. Like, that you, you are bringing nothing new to them. Like, they, they may have come down being a little bit excited to see what the situation is like, eh. Oh, of course, it's one of these. So I've heard that um, the person that you want to come to your aid when you're in an emergency, like mm-hmm. you, you would prefer like um, an ambulance, like somebody who would be in an ambulance or um, like a first responder to mm-hmm. say a brain surgeon or something like that, because the first responder is going to know what to do. And the brain surgeon doesn't always have to do that. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so these yeah, I, are the experts in this situation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously, like someone collapses in the street, I'd I'd want an ambulance crew to take over from me as soon as possible. Right. Because, like I say, there there is, and the, these are these are sometimes the dark thoughts that I have, kind of when when we when you get in those conversations where you talk about the end of the world. But like my skill set is not one predisposed to saving lives in the post-apocalyptic wasteland, for sure. But you sprang into action when when <laughs> well, you were called upon, and and that's kind of what you that that's maybe one of the big things that gets drilled into you is is doing something, yes, um, and and kind of working within your limits and knowing when you've done everything that you can do and trying not to make the situation worse, but doing something, yes, um, and I think a lot of people do get kind of stuck on the doing something. Because it's it's a scary situation, right? Because you don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want to hurt. You don't want to hurt anybody, and you don't want to make anything worse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In some ways, like you said, I'd kind of gone into autopilot. I was like, I I know these these half a dozen things that I can do that won't make the situation worse necessarily, and may make it better. So I'm just gonna go through my checklists. You know, make, making sure that I'm doing as much of the right stuff as I can with the limited resources I had and trying to, to call other people into doing what they're capable of doing. And I, it's, it's something which I think more people would, would maybe benefit from, from learning and practicing just that kind of getting stuck in 
you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. I can't, I, I understand that like seeing something is going wrong and just freezing up immediately and not, you know, not knowing what to do or mm-hmm. how to do it. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, I think that's amazing that you could jump in and do something in that moment and that, you know, you know, you know more of the ABCs than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think there's a G or an H. Maybe someone's come up with G or an H, but no. Or even an F. Um, no, I, but, it, but it is so much just kind of reflexive, falling back on training. Um, yeah. Like you say, that, that autopilot, that checklist mentality. Because there's plenty of situations I've come across in other aspects of my life where I've frozen, where I've not known what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happened that this was a situation where I knew something to do, something that kind of ultimately was helpful. Okay, so after the ambulance came, did did anybody did they check with you on what you had done? I'm curious to to know what what your role was afterwards. Oh, so once once the the ambulance crew had kind of taken over and they'd established. You know, they they'd done their own kind of ABCs and they got all their kit out and mm-hmm. made sure that this person was breathing, that their their sats were okay, that their blood pressure was okay. You know, when when I kind of explained what I'd seen, what I'd done, um, and and kind of related them my my little pocket history and established that I knew nothing other than you know car hit bollard, person unconscious, person stopped breathing briefly, person now breathing. Um, and then kind of explaining to the police again, car car hit bollard, person not breathing, person breathing. That's about it. Um, and there is that, I think there, there's kind of that inflection point where some people are more eager to kind of remain stuck in and remain, remain kind of part of the story and, and doing things. And I always kind of wonder if the ambulance crews prefer that or rather they'd rather you just kind of get out of the way. Like, th- thanks for your help, Doc, but now kind of, you're done. You, you yep. <laughs> go back to your life. Is that is that sort of what they did? Did they sort of say, "Well, thanks, bye"? <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is fine. Like <laughs> I did. I didn't kind of want any any more. I didn't like want like a gold star. I didn't want. Uh, ideally, zero recognition would be fine. Oh wow. Like, we could just draw a line under this whole thing. Yeah. And, and kind of go back to to the after kind of going back to watching a cup of uh, watching tv having a cup of tea (laughs) (laughs) it's not a marissa story if there's not a cup of tea (laughs) live and die by a cup of tea (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad that the tea came in somehow (laughs) oh gotta have a cup of tea (laughs) good um Okay, so did you ever find out what happened to that person? I'm sure they were okay afterwards, or mm. was there anything in the news? No, so I I kind of looked in the news, the local news, and there was no mention of it. And the car had sat at the end of the road for a couple of days, and then it just disappeared. Um, oh, no. And kind of, it was strange. In, in the immediate aftermath, there's that sense of like, oh, I, I just went and did a thing. Brilliant. Um and then in the two days after, once the car's gone and all that's there is kind of the bollard that's angled in a way that it wasn't before and it's like a small oil patch on the ground, you think, did that actually happen? 
Yeah. Or is it just some kind of weird fugue state? Because I can see no evidence to suggest that this happened. Scary. <laughs> wow. Just you. You. Yeah. Like I said, the the bollards moved over to one side, so something obviously happened. But did all that happen? Yeah. And even now, like recounting this years later, I the details are are, are in some ways fuzzy, and in other ways. I kind of wonder how much of this I have idealized. I suspect there was much more swearing under my breath. Uh-huh. Um and and there was probably a lot more anxiety and a lot more of of kind of thinking what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Yep. What do I do? Yep. Um did you immediately afterwards cuz sometimes when I have to do something like when I'm driving and I have to react quickly to something or <laughs> um something scary happens like in my in my real life um, I mm-hmm. feel kind of nauseous afterwards, like like the adrenaline kicked in and then it did its job and now I don't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> don't feel so good. Did you sort of feel that way? or No. So I think normally what I do is cry. Um, uh-huh. I'm, a, I'm a good kind of post-traumatic crier. Not because I necessarily feel sad, but like you have this kind of, like you say, pent up emotion. It's yeah. Like, I don't know. So it, it's it's gonna come out and and like it's either it's either crying or kind of laughing hysterically until yep. uh, and, until the moment passes. Um, I and certainly I've had like emergencies that I've dealt with before where I've kind of then gone off and found a little store cupboard and and had a jolly good cry and oh. <laughs> kind of composed myself and gone back out on the ward and went, okay I'm back in control. <laughs> oh. But uh, you know, these these aren't the things that kind of stay with you, in yeah. many ways. Like you you kind of you kind of process them and and you try and make sense of them and um and and then you kind of file them away as as that kind of story. Because when when you'd asked me if I had a story, I think one of the things that doctors often think about is that you you need like a story because you're going to be at a, a like a, a dinner party or something and someone's going to say oh tell me all your, tell me your worst story um uh-huh. and, and the honest fact is you do not want my worst story i do not want my worst story but what you oh, want is wow. an interesting story um which i i kind of hope this was yes no this <laughs> this was I yeah I'm because I'm trying to imagine like you do you know what mm-hmm. how you would respond if this was something that had happened to you and I like to think because I you know have CPR training that mm-hmm. if I saw this you know emergent situation happening that I would just jump right in and just you know just do something sure. you know yeah um but yeah I mean at the end of the day I kind I kind of wonder if I would or if I would sort of be like oh maybe somebody else will do it <laughs> or maybe we should just wait for an ambulance or you know well, I I wonder if that that's kind of the the big decider is that lag time of is somebody else going to do something Yep yep um and and sometimes that person kind of has to be you um I'm sure, I'm sure you would have handled the situation with the plum um Well thank you <laughs> I have I have saved small children from spilled glasses of milk before. <laughs> there was one time where <laughs> there was this table of kids and um mm-hmm. one kid spilled his milk um towards mm-hmm. towards the other side of the table. So now there's milk moving in slow motion across the <laughs> table. 
no. and, and the, other, the other kids are just sitting there staring at this milk as it's coming closer and closer to them and they're not moving and I'm like move <laughs> get out of the way so I sort of leapt over a couple of other elbows, children and <laughs> knocking children to the ground yeah. Then I grabbed two little toddlers out of their chairs and got them out of the way. One under each other. <laughs> they kind of ninja rolled out of the way. <laughs> and, and as the milk kind of dripped over the edge of the table, you held them close, going, You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then one of, one of them looked up with their blue eyes and their blonde hair and said, Are you my mummy now? <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's how it goes <laughs> no this was a great story thank you so much you're very welcome all right thank you so much again to marissa the art for the podcast is by jess music is mixed by sam Editing and technical assistance by my husband, Jason. Special thank you to The Cool Ranch. And everybody, remember to vote and wear a mask out there. <laughs>